Welcome. Hey, this is Kevin Shinnick, writer of Star Wars Force Collector. I'm Kevin Scott, one of the story architects of Star Wars The High Republic. This is Dominic Pace, who plays Gekko the Bounty Hunter from The Mandalorian. Hi, I'm Claudia Gray. I write Star Wars books. And you're listening. And you are listening. And you are listening. To Star Wars Comics in Canon, the Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 127. So my friends, I am tackling the Hidden Empire number 4. So this is the crossover event, although it's becoming less and less of a crossover as we go forward. Obviously War of the Bounty Hunters and Crimson Reign had crossovers with Darth Vader, Star Wars, Doctor Aphra and the Bounty Hunters comics. However, Hidden Empire 4 only seems to crossover with one other comic, which is Bounty Hunters number 32. So I'm only going to be tackling two issues in this episode. And then in a few weeks time when I tackle the finale, Hidden Empire number 5, I believe that will have the next issue of Doctor Aphra on it and it may have Bounty Bounty Hunters 33 as well, but we'll get to that. So if you haven't joined before, hello there, I hope you have a wonderful time. In short, I go through the plot details of each of these comics in chronological order, and then along the way I give you a bit of bonus information about things, so in species or planets or just things that occur in other content that's being referenced in some way, I try and go through that so you get a good idea of what's going on in the comic realm without having to read the comics yourselves, but along the way you get a wider understanding of the canon. However, I will say, as I do in every episode, please try and support the creators of these, please purchase the comics where you can, because although I do give you the vague plot details, there are little bits and pieces that I miss and there's some incredible dialogue in all of the Star Wars comics that I always recommend people check out. But without further ado, let's delve right in. So if you haven't listened to Hidden Empire 1, 2 or 3, go check out episodes 121, 122 and 123 of Star Wars Comics in Canon, nice and easy to remember. The Hidden Empire 4 is written by Charles Saul, the artist slash penciler is Stephen Cummings and then there are two inkers for this issue, which is Victor Olazaba and Wayne Foucher. The colour artist is Guru EFX, the issue was released the 1st of March 2023, and the trade paperback collection of Hidden Empire is due for release July 4th 2023. As of all the Bounty Hunters, Crimson Reign, Hidden Empire and the upcoming Dark Droids crossover event, they all take place between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, so it's between 3 and 4 years after the Battle of Yavin. With that all in mind, let's delve straight into Hidden Empire number 4, so here is The Crawl. Dreaming of a freer galaxy, Lady Kira and her organization, Crimson Dawn, have waged a secret war against the Empire. Kira acquired a means of prevailing against the Sith in the Fermata Cage, an artifact that supposedly suspended an ancient Sith Lord in time. Kira tasked the Archivist with unleashing this Sith against the Empire and activated her operatives across the galaxy to serve as a smokescreen. The Emperor retaliated against Crimson Dawn, forcing Kira to her stronghold at Dawnfall, where Crimson Dawn's fleet prepared to strike against the Empire. A failed attempt to unlock the Fermata Cage nearly killed the Archivist, and the disturbance in the Force it produced served as a beacon to Darth Vader. Kira dispatched Chanith Char and the Orphans to defend the Archivist and the Artifact. Chanith Char and the Orphans fought valiantly but proved no match for Darth Vader. However, their sacrifice allowed the Archivist to escape, providing Crimson Dawn a final opportunity to enact their plan. So the comic starts with Palpatine asking Darth Vader if he felt a Sith Lord when the Fermata Cage was opened. 
Darth Vader said he only felt the dark side of the Force, so wasn't sure. Palps then asks Vader to lightsaber spar with him, and there's some really cool artwork watching Vader and Palpatine fight. It's not the first time we've seen that in comic form. I can't remember if it happened in the 2017 Darth Vader comics, but I do recall it happened in the Star Wars 2020 run, issue Star Wars 25. So I would recommend checking that comic out just to see some of the amazing artwork. So while Vader and Palpatine are sparring, Palpatine notes that if there is a third Sith, he will enforce the rule of two, obviously insinuating the fact that if the Sith is more powerful than Vader, Palpatine will just swap them over. Shortly after a bit of fighting, it seems that Palpatine is beating Vader quite easily, as he seems to with everyone apart from Mace Windu, and so Palpatine says that's enough. He then notes Kira is setting a trap, and notes that she is clever, even more so than the dim light of Maul, and notes she will be missed. While this is going on, the archivist talks to Kira, noting that she's found a place that's rich in the dark side and life for the Fermata Cage to feed on. The archivist notes that she has no defenders left and will die if she activates the Fermata Cage, and there won't be enough time to stop Palpatine or anything like that. So Kira says she'll send help. She contacts Deathstick, who is the Dathomirian assassin, but Deathstick refuses because she says, well, I'm an assassin, I'm not going to go up against the Sith Lords. So Kira contacts the Knights of Ren. Again, they are hesitant because they left her before and members of them have died to try and support Crimson Dawn, but Kira notes that the Sith are going to pursue them because they knew about the Knights of Ren's attack on Darth Vader's fortress, which I think was in Crimson Reign number four. And so the Knights of Ren, mainly Ren, who's their leader, agrees. Kira sends over the coordinates so they can go and help. Kira then talks to Cadalia, who is the heir to the Mourner's Whale and Unbroken Clan Syndicate, and gives her a data disc, and she says to play it in five days if Cadalia doesn't hear from Kira. Then back to the Archivist, she takes the Fermata Cage to a Maxine Station and activates it. Now, a Maxine Station was first seen in, I think it was the Rise of Kylo Ren comics, but its flushed out debut is really in the High Republic Into the Dark young adult novel by Claudia Gray. That is the first young adult book in the High Republic for Phase 1. If you want to hear a book review on that and also a general plot overview, you can listen to that episode by either typing into the podcast app or going back to the 2nd of October 2021. So back to Kira. At the secret Crimson Dawn base, Dawnfall, Kira gives a speech to rally her people to fight. She says to fight against the unfair and the unjust rule of Palpatine's empire and the fleet then head out. That is told over sort of three or four pages and she does this amazing speech which I really recommend people checking out. Again, the dialogue in these issues are amazing but I'm not going to read it all here. Back to the Fermata Cage, it's feeding on the plants and etc. of a Maxine Station. Because a Maxine Station is actually where the Drengear come from, which are one of the antagonists in Phase 1 of the High Republic. They're these giant, dark side, scary plant things that eat people. But the High Republic was a couple of hundred years before this, so none of them seem to be there. A Maxine Station also homed lots of other plant life and things. It wasn't there just to hold the Drengear in place, it was there and grew loads of nice plants and things, and then I think the Drengear somewhat infiltrated it. But again, read into the dark or listen to my review and you get a bit more information on that. So as the Fermata Cage is feeding on planets and etc, it's letting out another Force Beacon, and Palpatine and Darth Vader, aboard Darth Vader's Star Destroyer called the Executor, show up. Now the Executor, I mention it quite a lot, but it's actually a really, really big Star Destroyer. It's a Dreadnought class. It's technically a Star Dreadnought Executor class. Now it's either called the Executor or the Executor. I assume it's Executor because Vader's, you know, dramatic and etc. But I say this every time I mention this, but it's a really big Star Destroyer. I think it's nicknamed like a Super Star Destroyer. And it does get destroyed in Return of the Jedi when Admiral Piet, who is commanding it from the bridge, you have one of the Rebels' A-Wings crashes into the bridge and the Star Destroyer crashes into the Death Star 2. So Palpatine orders the ship to fire on the station. He says he's not foolish enough to go down there when they have the firepower of the Empire. But before they can fire, the fleet emerges, Crimson Dawn's fleet. So the Crimson Dawn fleet attacks the Executor's long-range cannons and 
While doing so, let some of the transport ships get by so that some of the Crimson Dawn's ground troops can land. Margot is commanding the Crimson Dawn fleet and a big space battle begins. Now, Margot, you would have seen in Solo A Star Wars Story, she is an Imrugian. She was one of Dryden Voss's concierge. She's been in the Hidden Empire, Crimson Reign, War of the Bounty Hunters crossovers quite a bit. And Imrugian is a humanoid figure, but their skin is kind of like chalk white with black cracks through it. Quite cool character design, I always say this, but she was actually based on concept art for Kira when they originally were going to have Kira as a non-human. But back to the story and the space battle, there's a double page spread of some incredible artwork, again, artwork in these comics are brilliant, and then on the Star Destroyer, Admiral Piet notes that as the Star Destroyer had to divert power to the shield to defend against the fleet attacks, there's going to be a delay in firing on the station. Palpatine decides that he and Vader will go down there themselves because they don't have time to wait. So the Crimson Dawn troops land on a Maxine station, they spread out and prepare for the Imperials to land and attack. Palpatine's shuttle lands, which is just a standard Lambda-class shuttle, and before Palpatine and Vader exit, some Death Troopers and Royal Guards come out. Death Troopers are the Black Armoured Stormtroopers that first came into the canon, I think, in Rogue One, and then have appeared in various other pieces of content since, and then the Royal Guards are from the original trilogy, I think Return of the Jedi, and they are the Imperial Royal Guard that wear red. They're meant to be like an elite fighting squad for Palpatine that never really say anything, and they're meant to be like the absolute top of the Imperial Army. However, apart from in the Lando comic, which is also written by Charles Saul, which I think I tackled like episode 18 or around that mark, aside from in that one collection, we basically never really see the Royal Guards be any real threat. They seem to just always go against Force users and just get destroyed, as in Revenge of the Sith when Yoda enters Palpatine's room just before they have that final confrontation, Yoda just slams the both of them against the wall. And so the Royal Guards are actually quite formidable, but in the canon, we've not really seen evidence of that very much. To be fair, not dissimilar to Death Troopers, aside from in Rogue One, and I think in Andor a little bit, they seem to always get killed quite easily. But anyway, Palpatine and Vader emerges, and they sense that there is the dark side of the Force around there. And Palpatine says there must be no survivors. They both ignite their crimson lightsabers, and Hidden Empire 4 ends. I will say I will be tackling Hidden Empire 5 in a couple of weeks' time, but stay tuned until the end because then I'll give you an idea of what's coming up over the next couple of weeks and months. So my friends, let's move on to the other issue of this episode, which is Bounty Hunters 32. So Bounty Hunters 32 is written by Ethan Sachs, the guest artist is Alessandro Miracolo, and the colour artist is Arif Prianto. It was released March 8th, 2023, and the trade paperback collection is going to be released September 19th, 2023. It's going to be called Bedlam on Bestine, and includes issues 29 to 34. The reason I gave a bit more information about that trade paperback is because for the prior episodes that I've been talking about the Bounty Hunters issues, we didn't have a confirmation of when the trade paperback was coming out, but we've now got that. So, with that in mind, let's get into the crawl for Bounty Hunters 32. Toonga's team of bounty hunters has successfully saved Valance from the clutches of Darth Vader, but at great cost. After Valance discovered he had lost the woman he loved, he was shot in the face and knocked off a cliff by his current lover. The dangers, however, are just beginning for the crew. The Edgehawk is being pursued by a new Imperial threat, the Elite Inferno Squad. Iden Versio and her squad will stop at nothing to wipe Valance's memories after the cyborg observed top secret plans for a new Death Star. Now we'll say this next part is a spoiler for Hidden Empire number 5. It's a slight one, it's a predictable one, but it's a slight one, so I will say if you don't want to hear about that, the rest of the issue doesn't really tackle that stuff, but if you don't want to hear about that, skip forward about 15-30 seconds, and then you will continue not knowing what happened at the end of Hidden Empire 5 till I tackle it in a few weeks. So here is the spoiler for Hidden Empire 5. Unbeknownst to all of them, a force wave has been released by the destruction of the Fomata Cage and is spreading across the galaxy, a wave that may have deadly ramifications for one bounty hunter. 
So, with that in mind, let's delve straight in. So on the planet called Gand, it shows a flashback to then. You've got Zuckus and his mother. His mother is asking him to prepare for the Great Rite. He's a little bit nervous about it and things, and then she makes some clicking noises as a sacred incantation to give him strength. She believes he will be a great findsman. So on Gand, there is the species Gand, and they also speak the language of Gand, so that's definitely not confusing at all. And the Gand species can breathe the air on Gand, even though the air is actually ammonia. And that's why that the Gand species, when they're off the planet, have to use breathers because they can't actually breathe oxygen-rich environments. Now, I've looked online and there seems to be from one random little either source book or something, there seems to be some Gand that don't breathe and they can just get what other Gand get from breathing from eating and things. But it's a very, very minor reference. It doesn't really seem to be anywhere else in the canon. So I'm just not going to really delve into that unless they pop up in more detail somewhere else. But the Gand species, they have got beaks that remind me a little bit like octopuses have, um, but also like birds, but they are insectoid species. They also speak in third person and don't seem to have pronouns, and if they speak their own last name, it means that they are ashamed. And when I read that, I was like, oh, that's quite interesting, because I recall from Star Wars Legends, in the first of the X-Wing series, slash Rogue Squadron series, the book called Rogue Squadron, there's a character who is a Gand called Laurel, and Laurel does go into detail about this and explains sort of honour around Gand and things like that. I think he explains it to Corin Horn, but... Uh, Obviously, with the canon, they're slowly bringing things in back from Legends, piece by piece, just to make sure things don't conflict. Or at least, don't conflict for the most part. But yeah, this issue is going to be going back and forth. There's a lot of flashbacks sort of intermittently through, so I'll be saying now and then. I'll try and make it as clear as I can. But, present day. So the Edgehawk is being fired upon by Inferno Squad. The hyperdrive has been knocked out, and Inferno Squad calm them and ask for Valance to be handed over because as I said in the crawl, he probably has information on the Death Star 2 in his memory bank somewhere. Bosk obviously wants to hand him over, because Bosk hates Valance, but Onga rejects this, and then Zucker says that he can fly through the asteroid field, because he can navigate. Now, Inferno Squad, you would have seen them from Battlefield 2, the campaign, which is actually surprisingly quite good. It's quite short, but it is quite good. So you've got Iden Versio, Del Miko, and Gideon Hask. I recall that there are other members of Inferno Squad that we do see in Battlefield 2, and there is the book Inferno Squad as well that I must confess I have not read, but these are the three main people. Certainly in the comic it notes that there's a mysterious wave that appears that has been caused by the events of Hidden Empire 5. Again, I confirm what that was in the crawl, and I won't say any more about it. So with Zuckus at the helm flying the Edgehawk, he seems to get through the asteroid field without really taking any damage. Inferno Squad's ship, however, is much bigger, so it does abandon pursuit, and will head to the nearest spaceport because they suspect that the ship will need to go there for repairs afterwards. Zuckers is in an intense meditative state, and then he yells out in anguish, seems to have some sort of seizure, and then passes out. So, back to the flashback. Zuckus is called the runt of an egg batch by one of the eldest Gans who is doing this great rite, and the master finesmen tell all the clan's hatchlings that they need to find the rare Takara flower and return it. And then once doing that, that finishes their rite and then they can become a finesman. So the group of hatchlings head off and then one of them gets to the flower. It seems to be the eldest who is the bully. He grabs this flower, lifts it up in the air in triumph, and then is killed by an unknown monster that is guarding it. Back to now, Valance is now trying to fly the ship in the asteroid field, but is hitting a few things here and there because obviously he doesn't have the degree of force sensibility, if one wants to call it that, or foresight that Zuckus and many Gans have. Zuckus appears to be dying. His consciousness is somewhat lost, so his body seems to be going into shock. Then, back in the flashback, Zuckus manages to get the flower, but then a Charon roars and takes pursuit, chasing him through the forest, and Zuckus gets wounded. 
So a Charon is a giant being. It seems to be like 40-ish foot tall, and it's like a spider centaur. So if you imagine what a centaur looks like, obviously top half body of a man, bottom half body of a horse. If you imagine that, but the bottom half of the body, instead of it being a horse, is a giant spider, and the top half is like a giant ant thing. So you've got like an ant spider centaur that's like 40 foot tall, and it is terrifying. Now, the Charon were actually first in Legends. They only seem to be in two or three other pieces of content, and they debuted in the other space role-playing game adventure from Legends in 1989. So, obviously, there's the Star Wars role-playing game that was in sort of the late 80s, and in that you could get certain adventures to go along with it and things, and there were certain species that were included in that, and then there were, like, references to them, and you get a bit of bio-information, those sort of things, and a Charon was in that. And to clarify, Charon is C-H-A-R-O-N. So, back to now. Zuckus's breather comes out and 4LOM slash 4LOM, obviously I keep, I prefer calling him 4LOM, but because I read it 4LOM so frequently, contrary to prior episodes, I am getting more used to calling him 4LOM, but I still stand by 4LOM is better. But anyway, 4LOM tries the strategy of tapping and clicking, which in the sort of dream flashback thing Zuckus does here, and is very similar to the clicking sounds that Zuckus's mother made. He then finds the flower that he dropped, and then he decides to follow the wind and goes near a cliff edge. He makes a few noises and things, so the Charon hears, and the Charon chases after him. Zuckus manages to use like a staff or a stick to put a trap that the Charon then trips over, falls over Zuckus, and then falls off this big cliff, seemingly to its death. Zuckus then goes to his clan, confirming that the Charon will no longer bother the clan and that he is basically victorious, but the Master Findsman says that was not condition of the right, and therefore Zuckus is no longer the clan's concern. Zuckus says to himself that he will find his own way. Zuckus then wakes up, thanks for LOM for remembering the story, and then Zuckus takes the Edgehawk's controls and gets them out of the asteroid field relatively unscathed. Or at least, they don't take any further damage after Vlance flew and was damaging it. The Edgehawk crew then decide to head to a nearby smuggler port for repairs, but the final panel shows that that's the exact one the Inferno Squad is waiting at. And that, my friends, is the end of Bounty Hunters 32 and the end of the narrative side of this episode. And just to mention here, the asteroid field that the Bounty Hunters crew found themselves in was called the Lost Souls Asteroid Field, and it did actually show up in one other piece of canon content, and that is the Age of Resistant one-shot story, Poe Dameron. Amalyn Holder, known from The Last Jedi, actually helped Poe navigate through the field anonymously. If you want to hear a little bit more about that story, check out episode 56 of Star Wars Comics and Canon. So friends, what have we got coming up over the next few weeks? Well, it is the Return of the Jedi 40th anniversary. So I've decided to do some of the Return of the Jedi 40th anniversary comics as a connective thing. There's quite a few comics being released over this year, so I'll probably do it in two parts. Next week will be part one, and then once all the comics have come out, it'll probably be sort of October, November time, I will then do part two. But it should be the Lando comic, the Jabba's Palace comic, and then the Ewoks comic. The other ones that are going to be released further in the year, you've got a Max Rebo comic coming out, you've got an Empire one, you've got a Rebellion one, and at Star Wars Celebration they said there would be a couple more. I have also finished reading the High Republic Phase 2 novel, Cataclysm, by Lydia Kang, and it was absolutely fantastic, but I'm aiming to release a full review of that on June 3rd, so that'll be in my usual format for the book reviews I put on here. It will start off spoiler-free with my general thoughts, then I go into a little bit more detail of the themes and characters and things, still keeping it relatively spoiler-free, and then I'll give a big spoiler warning, and then I'll give my full, unfiltered thoughts on the book, and then we'll give a plot overview at the end. So if anyone is trying to get into the High Republic and things, obviously I've got a lot of High Republic content that is out. You can check out the YouTube playlist, or you can just type in the High Republic comics and canon, and it should come up in the podcasting app. But 
I tackle all the books and give you plot overviews of all of them and I'm trying to tackle every single comic as well and I am on my way. Then hopefully the week after that will be the Hidden Empire 5 crossover, which will be around June 10th. So that should be Hidden Empire 5. I need to double check. I'm pretty sure it's an Afro comic that connects to that. I don't know if Bounty Hunters 33 is going to connect to that. I have a suspicion that Bounty Hunters 33 is the start of a new story arc, but I'll read it and figure it out. Then after that, I'm probably going to do High Republic. So what I'm going to aim to do is kind of what I did when I was dealing with High Republic Phase 1, which is every other week do some High Republic content, and then every other other week I'll do non-High Republic content. So after Hidden Empire 5, I'll either do the one-shot Quest of the Jedi by Claudia Gray, or I'll do the four-part series The Blade, which is focusing on Porter Engel, who is in Phase 1 of the High Republic and is so old he's also in Phase 2. Then the week after that, towards the end of June, I'm probably going to do the first batch of Yoda comics. So there's going to be 10 Yoda comics in total. I've got the fifth one now, so I'll do volume one of those. But I know that they do have story arcs of the Yoda comics. I'm pretty sure you've got one or two issues and then batches of three. So I will take a look. I will read them first and work out what is best. Then the week after that, I'm probably going to tackle the High Republic comics volume two, or if I don't tackle the blade from the two weeks prior, I'll then tackle that. And then as we get into July even more, I'll then deal with some of the comics that are set between the Hidden Empire crossover event and Dark Droids, because obviously I haven't tackled the main run of Star Wars comics from 2020 in a little while. So there's at least one story arc of those. I think there's probably going to be two by the time Dark Droids happens. There's obviously the Dr. Afra comics as well, which quite a few of those are out. There's the Darth Vader comics too, and obviously the Bounty Hunters comics on top of that. So that's going to put us all the way through to sort of July, August time. I believe that the Dark Droids crossover is starting around August slash September time. And so by that point, I should have tackled all the Phase 2 High Republic content that is out. And then I should have done all of the crossover stuff and hopefully be ready for Dark Droids. And then Phase 3 of the High Republic is starting off towards the end of 2023 as well. So yeah, just lots and lots of comics going on. There's a few other bits and pieces. I've got the Dark Horse Comics Hyperspace Stories, which are anthology comics. So I'll be delving into those at some point. I keep promising the Clone Wars Battle Tales. I will do it eventually. It's just not on my priority list at the moment, just because there's so much other really cool content coming out. But I will endeavor and try my absolute best to release that episode this year so I can just stop talking about the IDW publishing Clone Wars Battle Tales comics. And then there's also the Darth Vader miniseries, which has just started, which is black, white, and red. So each of those issues has like three Darth Vader stories. It's going to be quite interesting trying to tackle those because I read the first issue and it is quite cool. But one of the stories has absolutely no dialogue. So the black, white, and red comics are going to be the ones that visually the artwork is absolutely incredible. I really recommend people check those out if you can. I will tackle them on this show as I always do, and they are going to be canon, but there will be a couple of the stories which are just going to be me vaguely describing what's going on, but you are going to miss out on some of the very intense imagery that is in those comics. And then what else is going on? Well, I did recently do the Star Wars Visions Volume 2 discussion with Rhea and Megan. That was released on the feed of Comics in Motion, on the YouTube channel and everywhere like that. So yourselves will have probably seen that got released. So please listen to that and let us know what you thought of those nine episodes and our kind of reviews of them. Obviously, in August, we've got the Ahsoka series coming out. So I'll be doing those weekly discussion shows on the feed of Comics in Motion and on my YouTube channel too. I do have a couple of recordings due with some people to do with Star Wars, and I'm not going to say anything further to that until I've actually got those recordings in the bag. And then what else can you do? Well, obviously you're listening to the show, so that's the best way to support the show is by listening. That's the number one way. If you want to support the show even more and go above and beyond, you can do a number of things. You can share the show on social media and tell your friends about it. You can rate it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, even Audible does them now. So please go over to Audible and try and review the show on that. 
and really any podcast app that allows for reviews or ratings please try and give me a high rating as well as a little review if you can it only takes a couple of seconds and uh, it's actually probably quicker to do the review than to listen to me waffle on at the end here about doing the reviews and it does really help the show out so please do that if possible in addition to sharing and rating and reviewing and things, you can also support the show by going to patreon.com slash genuine chits chat. First there's one pound a month, which is like a dollar fifty a month, you will get access to over 160 episodes of Afterthoughts. We've recently done a Guardians of the Galaxy rewatch, so we did Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2, and then saw Guardians 3 at the cinema. So we did a little bit of a spoiler-free review of that and then a full spoilery discussion on that. That episode in itself was 25 minutes, and the other two episodes were like 10 or 15 minutes. So immediately with Guardians of the Galaxy, you've got almost an hour of content on that alone we've done a lot of other non-mcu stuff we're also going on a trip next weekend so on afterthoughts we always myself and megan always review our thoughts after we've been on a road trip and stuff so you get to hear about that as well as other tv shows we've been watching live performances we've seen those sorts of things plus there is star wars content over there myself and megan have gone through all 11 of the star wars movies and have reviewed them on there and then I also release Star Wars Legends book reviews on there, which also give a good plot overview as well. I've done Darth Plagueis. I've done the Darth Bane trilogy. I've done the first of the Rogue Squadron novels. I've done Shatterpoint. I've done Revan, uh, Darth Maul Shadowhunter. I feel like I've done another one, but I can't remember off the top of my head. And I'm also currently listening to the Thrawn novels, not the Legends ones. Not yet. I will be doing that, but the canon ones. So I did Thrawn. Obviously, I did the Thrawn comic adaptation a while back. I wasn't a fan of that, but the Thrawn audiobook was fantastic. I really enjoyed that. And then I'm right near the end of Thrawn Alliances as well, which is when Thrawn and Vader team up. And then there's also like a flashback of when Thrawn met Anakin when he was sort of around the Clone Wars era before he got into the Empire as shown in the Thrawn book. And then there'll be Thrawn Treason, which I know little bits and pieces about that, but I'll delve into that when I do it. So I haven't decided if I'm going to release those reviews on this feed or if on Patreon. What I'll probably do is release it on Patreon and then as we near the Ahsoka series, maybe I'll release them as some sort of special. I don't know. But if you want to hear those, go to patreon.com slash genuine chit chat. You support the show, which hugely, hugely helps me out. I just feed all the money I get from Patreon back into the podcast, basically buying more equipment and things like that. And I'm going to be buying a better camera as well soon. So when I do have interviews with Star Wars authors and people like that, like I did with Kevin Scott and Claudia Gray and Power of Villanelli and some others that I've got lined up when I do those future ones I'll have a better camera than I had and so all the money that you give me towards Patreon I just use to make the show better so if you do have the spare money a little bit every month please consider doing that or you can just support the show for a short period of time listen to all the episodes of Afterthoughts and then you could stop being a Patreon supporter I would not hold that against you but anyone who's willing to support the show for even one off payment I would hugely hugely appreciate that. But that, my friends, is going to be enough from me. Thank you so much for listening. As always, follow me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. Please reach out and talk to me if you want to ask anything about Star Wars or anything like that. I always love a Star Wars or really a normal conversation. Obviously, you can check out my show, Genuine Chit Chat, where I have interviews with different people. It's more so conversations, but obviously the best way to define it is an interview style. As I said, lots of Star Wars conversations and lots of conversations that have nothing to do with Star Wars at all. Certain authors, actors, filmmakers, travelers, all kinds of things. Please go check that out. If you are already on the youtube channel please subscribe as it also helps with visibility because obviously youtube's algorithm it's always the fun word algorithm on social media and on youtube and things so please help me out in that way if you could but that's gonna be enough from me thank you as always for listening especially up to the end i appreciate each and every one of you i will be talking to you next week with the return of the jedi special comics and as always my friends may the force be with you The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit chat, 
and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton.